0: Well, any of you that have ever heard me speak before know that I'd like to start with a little joke to kind of loosen me up. You know, I'm nervous every time I do this, and uh, with pretty good reason, if you don't believe it, you volunteer to do it sometime. I don't volunteer, I I get drafted. (laughs) So, there was this little Jewish boy named Benjamin, and he was sitting in uh, synagogue listening to Rabbi Greenbaum read the Bible, read the scriptures. It wasn't the Bible as we know it, but the scriptures, the Pentateuch, which is the first five uh, books of the Bible. And he was reading through Genesis and Exodus, and so it went along for quite a while. And then this little boy said, Rabbi, can I ask a question? And the rabbi said, of course. What's your question? The little boy said, well, as you've been reading, I've noticed that the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, and the children of Israel built the tabernacle, and the children of Israel did this, and the children of Israel did that. So my question is, didn't the adults ever do anything? <laughs> children are great. As Pastor Brecky said, we have lots of new babies here and lots of new babies on the way. And they talked about children and grandchildren, but they've neglected to mention great grandchildren. And Sarah and I have one, and another one that's going to be born in May. And that will be the first Dunning female in our whole family, that baby that's coming in May. So we're really excited, right, Sarah? <laughs> Amen. Well, the title of my message this morning is We Have an Enemy. How many of you know we have a real enemy? In fact, we're in a war. And we've already won this war eventually, but in the meantime, we have to deal with this enemy. When God created the earth and everything that's in it and all the creatures and the people and everything like that, he gave dominion over the earth to man. You can read it in Genesis 1 and Right at the very beginning of the Bible where he, after he created Adam and Eve, he gave dominion over the whole earth and everything in it to man. But then, I assume that you all know that Adam and Eve kind of messed that up, didn't they? They actually, through their rebellion, surrendered dominion over the earth to our enemy, to Satan. And... He ruled over this earth until 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ went to the cross. And through his sacrifice and his ascension into heaven and seated at the right hand of God, he was given authority over the air and all the principalities and the earth and everything that is. He was given dominion over that. So he, after that, uh, took the dominion over the earth back from satan. So satan is a defeated foe eventually. But he's still around today and will be till the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we have to deal with him. In ni- well, I'm going to talk about the olden days for just a little bit here. In 1956 I was in the Air Force, the United States Air Force, and the Korean War had ended a couple of years before, and the Vietnam War had just started in 1955. And in both of those wars, China was the uh, force behind both of those wars. You know, Korea is a little bitty country, and without China, there's no way that North Korea could have ever done anything. And Vietnam is a tiny little country, and without China and all their backing, they couldn't have won that war. So uh, I got elected to, not elected, I got assigned to uh, the uh, Institute of Far Eastern Languages at Yale University to go learn to speak Chinese, which I did. I was there for 13 months, 8 hours a day, 5 days a week, learning Chinese. And the purpose of that was so that I I was sent eventually to the Philippines, I was attached to the embassy in the Philippines, and my job was to listen to Chinese radio transmissions and read Chinese publications to look for little tiny fragments of information that might be useful to know our enemy. I don't know if you know this, but, well, I'm sure you do know this, but when you're in a war, a great deal of effort and energy and resources are devoted to learning who the enemy is and what his strategies are and what his capabilities are. And I'm here to tell you that if you don't understand our spiritual enemy Satan and know his methods, he will walk all over you. He will own your life if you don't know what he can do and how he can do it and you don't take steps to stand against what he does and counter what he does. So you have to have knowledge and uh, it's pretty easy to come by. You know, Satan really only has one tool against us. One weapon is all he's got. That weapon is deception. He's the father of lies. The, the scripture tells us that he's the father of lies. And in fact, in John 10.10, 10, he's called a thief too. And it says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And I have come that they may have life and they, they may have it more abundantly. Now, that's, that's what he does is come to steal from you. And to kill you, not necessarily physically, although sometimes he does that too, but spiritually, soulishly. Actually, he can't, if you're born again, he can't do anything to your spirit. Your spirit is whole the day that you're born again, and it's whole forever after after that. But he can really damage your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. That's, that's the, the spirit. Our spirit tells our soul what to do and what is right and if our, if our soul doesn't know what to receive and what to reject from what our spirit tells us then we're trapped so he has some tools and deception is the, is the main thing but he has some tools and you know I just listed four here but he's got a whole bunch of them sickness, poverty, divorce destruction of families and that's a big one That's a big one, destruction of families. If he can destroy a family, he's really made waves that can reverberate down through generations. So, that's a really important one. And then, in today's world, he uses addictions. Lots of addictions. You know, when we think of addictions, we think of drugs and we think of alcohol and that kind of thing. But it isn't just drugs and alcohol. You can be addicted to anything. You know... I'm addicted to coffee. I like coffee. I only drink one cup a day, but I like coffee. And I try to have a cup of coffee every day, every morning. But there are other addictions too. And, and he uses them, even though some of them seem insignificant and not too consequential, but he uses them to manipulate you to get you to do things that he wants you to do. And he's good at it, and he's persistent. Uh, Talk about persistence. He, He started talking to me when I got up this morning, and he said things like, who do you think you are to get up in front of people and tell them anything about anything? And so, you know, I'd pray a little, and he'd quit, you know, for a little bit. But you know what? Ten minutes later, he's whispering in my ear again. And I know that I'm not the only one that that kind of thing happens to. I know he does it to everybody. And he especially does it if you're born again. You know, if you're not born again, you're really no threat to him at all. But if you are born again, you're a big threat to him. So he really comes at us born again, folks, more than he does unborn again. They're going to hell by themselves. He, he, He don't need to help them. So... As I said, he has, he has only one method, and that's deception. And I want to give you a definition of deception. And this is, this is Webster's Dictionary definition of deception. Falsehood or the deliberate concealment or misrepresentation, misrepresentation of the truth with the intent of leading one another into error or disadvantage. That's Webster's Dictionary. My definition is believing anything that's contrary to God's revealed truth or His Word. That's the real definition of deception. You know, God's Word says that we can know the truth and the truth can set us free. If we don't know the truth, God's Word truth, then we can't be set free. We'll always be in bondage under Satan. He really has... He has only one weapon, and if we're not gaining victory in our lives over the curse, we're supposed to be delivered from the curse when we're born again. You all know that, right? Amen. We're supposed to be delivered from the curse, but sometimes we don't feel like we're delivered from the curse. Sometimes we aren't delivered from it. The curse is on us because we don't take advantage of, the, of what we've gained by being born again, and we don't stand against Satan and all of his wiles. Sometimes it's because we don't know. So... My, my goal today is to help you to know uh, what his weapons are, how he uses his weapon of, dis, of deception. Uh, Satan is the father of lies, but he's not the father of destruction. You know, he can tell you all kinds of lies, and you know he's pretty good at making you believe them, especially if you don't know the word and you don't know the truth to stand against that. So, in Deuteronomy 30, 19, it says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. And that's, you know, that's, that's really a command. You know, if, if, you, if you are born again, you have the opportunity to know the truth and to have that choice between blessing and cursing and life and death. If you're not born again, you may not know that. But you have the opportunity to know that. I mean, there there are more opportunities in the world today to hear the Word spoken, to see preachers talk, to read the Word. I mean, we must have six or seven Bibles in our house. I don't know just how many we have, and I've I've got four in my office. And, you know... You can watch the Believer's Voice of Victory Network 24-7, 365 days a year. And boy, that's some good preaching. How many of you listen to BVOVN? I almost didn't get that out, BVOVN. That's kind of a tongue twister a little bit, isn't it? (laughs) Well, my tongue can get twisted pretty often. Satan has seven basic deceptions and any other deception that he tries to use on us come from these six, these seven so i'm going to give you these seven deceptions and the pieces that go with them and i really encourage you to really think about these as you go forward and anytime he starts whispering in your ear Identify what, one of these deceptions and stand against it because you have the authority, if you're a born again Christian you have the authority to stand against anything he tries to do in your life anything and I, I got to take a little bunny trail here just a minute uh, he will try to get you to misunderstand what the word says he did it to Adam and Eve, didn't he? Well, he did it to Eve. He didn't do it to Adam. Adam knew what the word said, and he just decided to follow his wife instead of God. But he will try to get you to disbelieve, and he's real, real tricky about it. So you have to know the word. The first deception is that the devil isn't real, and he really likes that one. He'd like for you to believe the cartoon character with the horns and the long tail and the pitchfork that sits on your shoulder, you know. And you could just dismiss it because, you know, it's a cartoon or something, you know. So the first deception that he tries to make you think that he isn't real. And as a matter of fact, (coughs) oh, excuse me. (coughs) As a matter of fact, there was a survey done a number of years ago among Christians, so-called Christians. You know, if you, if you, in Kerrville, Texas, if you walk up to people and say, "Are you a Christian?" 80% of them will say yes, but they're not really Christians. They, a lot of them don't even go to church or don't participate in any kind of church activity. So, 59% of of so-called Christians don't believe that Satan is real. I hope I'm not looking at anybody in this body that doesn't believe he's real. Because he is. Because the Bible says he is. That's enough. The reason he likes this deception is because if you believe this one, you won't guard against any of the rest of them. You know, if Satan isn't real, why do I even have to worry about him? Why do I even have to be cognizant of him? It doesn't make any sense, right? And also, if you don't believe that he is the enemy, you'll see people as the enemy. Your wife, your husband, politicians, pastor. (laughs) You'll find somebody else to blame if you don't believe that Satan has has a hand in this. Number two, second deception. And I, I'm really surprised at how many people, what did I do? I'm really surprised at how many people uh, fall for this. Second deception is you think you can't win against him. Anybody ever experienced that? You think you can't win? Now, it's a lie. Ephesians six eleven says, "Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil." And what's the whole armor of God? The Word. It's, it's. Uh, I think the ladies are, are studying right now the armor of God, and. It's the Word. Then First Peter 5, 8 says, <clears throat> Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He roars to identify who he can eat. The lion does. You know how lions hunt? You know they hunt in a pack? <clears throat> and what they do is they take the, the oldest lion... Has lost his teeth and all that, can't really chew well, <laughs> and consequently isn't much good for the hunt. They'll have that lion get behind the prey and start roaring and carrying on and drive the prey to the other lions that are waiting. Then those, those other lions will kill the prey and eat it and share it with the lion that can't chew. Well, that's the devil. He can't hurt you if you don't let him hurt you. There's nothing he can do to you that you don't allow him to do. You may think that's an oversimplification, but it's not. And if you don't know what his tactics are, then you don't know how to fight it. Uh, When the devil roars at us, it produces symptoms. Sickness, poverty, family disagreements, family fights. He wants to disperse. You know, God created families. You know that, right? Adam and Eve were the beginning of the first family, and we've been, as Brian talked about, we've been sowing seed ever since then, and we've produced babies. Lots of nice babies in our house. I love them. So... If he can destroy the family, which we're witnessing taking place in our country today, if he can destroy the family, he's got a long way to accomplish his goals. So, that's what that roar does. It produces fear. Fear fear is anti-faith. When you're afraid, you have more fear in whatever it is that's trying to come against it than you have in God and Jesus Christ to deliver you from that. So it's it's anti-faith. Faith Faith moves the hand of God. Fear opens the door to the devil. Fear opens the door to the devil. Because it's anti-faith. The word says that without faith it's impossible to please God. So if you're in fear, you're already out of God's pleasure because you're trusting in whatever you're afraid of more than you're trusting in God. Does that make sense? Okay. Fear produces one of two things. It either produces paralysis or panic. Paralysis or panic. Paralysis causes indecision, the ability to function as God intended. If you're afraid, say you're afraid to make a decision. Instead of of avoiding the decision because you're afraid, go to God and ask the Holy Spirit to to help you to make that decision. That's faith versus fear. Uh. It produces also panic. You know what the reflex is to panic? Either fight or flight. One of the two, right? So if if you're presented with a problem that causes you to fear, your tendency is to either avoid that, just put it aside and not deal with it, or to fight. You know, if you have a disagreement with your wife or your husband or your children... You may feel a tendency to fight. And we read about it all the time in, in papers and on television and, and everything today where these family uh, uh, difficulties arise and somebody gets beat up or somebody gets killed. That's a result of fear. Some kind of fear. I'm going to take a little, another little bunny trail here for a minute. <coughs> You know what the original sin was? It wasn't fear. It was pride. Pride. Satan got kicked out of heaven. He was the the highest angel. He He was the worship leader, right? He was the worship leader, and he got kicked out of heaven because he rebelled against God, and he said that I will set myself up as God. So that was pride on his part, and he got kicked out of heaven for it, and he brought all this other trash with him. Every, every sin evolves from pride. Think about it. Think about it. Every sin evolves from pride. Even Adam and Eve, you know, even though they were deceived, they were deceived because of pride. When Eve saw the, the, the tree of life, the tree of good and evil. Uh, she saw that it, was, that it looked good. And that it probably tastes good. And all that. And she decided that she. Was worthy to have. The fruit of that tree. And that was pride working in her. So. All that was free. <clears throat> there are over. Over. 300 scriptures in the Bible that tells us to fear not over 300 fear not or words to that effect most of them are exactly that fear not but there are some others that are a little different 1 Peter 5, 7 casting all your care upon him for he cares for you casting all cares on him for he cares for you what does he care? Was a care. Fear's a care, right? So if you're afraid of something, you can cast it on him. There's all kinds of fears. The world brings us fear all the time, all the time. I was just trying to see how much time I had left. I don't want to get too windy here. My wife's laughing. Well, Windiness is not usually my greatest fault. My, you know, Usually, I don't have much to say. So, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. And you know, we are a nation of worriers. Is that right? Worriers. We worry about everything. And the Word says we don't have to worry about anything. If somebody they did a scientific study about worry and they found out that 90% of what people worry about never comes to pass. Can you think, think about all the time and energy and effort and everything that's wasted worrying? Especially since we don't even have to. As God said, we could cast it all on Him. Okay, strategy number three that the Bible isn't literally true. I have to tell you that today there are whole denominations of Christian churches that don't believe the Bible is literally true. Well, That's not so in this church, I can tell you. Our pastors believe and preach that the Bible is literally true. Literally true. Now, you may read things in the Bible that you don't quite understand. That doesn't mean they aren't true. You may see things in the Bible that you can't quite explain or even comprehend, but that doesn't mean they aren't true. You have to accept the Bible as being true by faith. You know how you, you know, those of you who are born again, you remember how you got born again? you made a statement of faith, didn't you? You didn't understand how it was going to work. You didn't understand how it was going to happen. You accepted the word as on faith, and lo and behold, you're born again. And if you then begin to walk the Christian life and sit under the word and get taught, your faith grows and grows and grows and grows. And pretty soon, you're a faith giant. Well, maybe not a giant. I don't think I am yet, but I'm getting there. There was another survey taken some time ago asking the question, do you believe that the Bible is literally true? 38%. 38% of Christians So-called Christians don't believe that the Bible is literally true. It's inconceivable to me, but that is it. You know, i got to tell you, if I didn't believe that the Bible was literally true, I wouldn't bother to be a Christian. What's the point? I wouldn't even bother. I'd just go live my life as a heathen. Really. That happens to a lot of people, by the way. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Knowing the truth keeps you from being deceived. We talked about that before. You can be easily deceived if you don't know the truth. But if you know what it is, then you'll understand where that's coming from and you'll be able to overcome it. It enables you to, to recognize Satan's lies. Psalm 119 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So, if you have the word and you have it hidden in your heart, and you may not know uh, chapter and verse of what you know in your heart, you may not know that, but if you've heard the word and you've received the word, it's gone into your heart. And when you have it in there and you know it's the truth, you can resist anything that he brings against you. We can get over it. Number four, that you aren't worthy And boy, I'll tell you, I struggled with this for many, 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 many years. Even after I became a Christian, I struggled with this. And Satan really, really works in this area. Because he'll remind you of every bad thing you ever did. Won't he? Am I telling the truth? Every bad thing you ever did, he'll bring to your mind. And he won't just bring it once. He'll bring it over and over and over and over. So if you receive that from Him, you really are, you really don't know the truth and the truth hasn't made you free. Because the Word says that you are. The Word says that if you've received Jesus as your Savior, the Word says in 2 Corinthians five twenty-one that you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Not because of what you do, but because of what He did. You know, we can never be in our own strength, righteous enough to deserve to be a child of God. But Jesus paid the price for us that we might be the righteousness of God in Him. And as such, we have every right. Every right. Number five says... That it doesn't matter what you believe. doesn't matter what you believe. Because he, he thinks... It doesn't matter what you believe. For Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So in your heart, if you don't believe that you're born again, if you don't believe that you're the righteousness of God in Christ then he will convince you that what he tells you is true. Satan uses all the tools of this world to convince you that you can believe whatever you want to believe. You know? We have all this stuff with, well, all these initials. I don't even know what all of it means. L, B, G, T, Q, R, X, Z, Y. I don't know what all that is. But the world is working overtime to convince us that it's all right. We're supposed to hate the sin, love the sinner. That doesn't mean that if you run into a lesbian or a gay person or whatever all those other initials stand for, that you should go beat them up or start quoting scripture to them to try to make them feel bad or anything like that. But it means you can't believe that their lifestyle is a righteous lifestyle. There are people today who claim to be Christians who are living in direct defiance of God's word and claim to be a Christian. You can't do that. It's as simple as that. You can't do that. So uh, you you have to believe the word. You can't believe what the world tells us because Satan controls all that out there. He's the, he's the God of the system of this world. And there are consequences. Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith it's impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now, if you're born again and you can't say that, that you can't say that you believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. You haven't sat under the word enough. You haven't studied the word enough. You haven't sought the leadership of the Holy Spirit enough. Because if you do those things, your mind will be convicted and changed. The word can change any mind. Six doesn't matter what you think your mind is satan's target that's where he works that's his playground that's where he works overtime to convince you that he's right and the word is wrong we i quoted before proverbs 23 7 as a man thinks in his heart so is he so what your mind stays on will eventually become your actions what you think about controls what you're going to do. You know, any any time you're getting ready to enter a new endeavor or whatever, you've got to think about it, don't you? You know, <laughs> another little bunny trail here. My Sometimes we have something that needs to be done in our house or fixed in our house or whatever, and... It kind of looks like I'm procrastinating. (laughs) But before I start a project, I've got to think about it. And sometimes I have to think about it a long time. (laughs) And she gets a little frustrated with me sometimes, but eventually I get to it. (laughs) It does matter what you think. And what your mind stays on will become your actions. And you have to protect your mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And there's not a more important statement that I'm going to make today than that. That you have to bring every thought into captivity. When uh, the devil was talking to me this morning as I was getting ready to come and bring this word, telling me that I was worthless and I didn't have any right to do this and all that kind of thing, I had to take those thoughts captive, and I had to cast them down. I had to speak the word against those thoughts, and they'd bring them back, but I'd do it again. Well, here I am doing it. You know, he tried to convince me that I'll just play like I was sick and go home and go to bed, you know. (laughs) But I took the thoughts captive and didn't do that. Sorry about that. (laughs) Number seven, that it doesn't matter what you say. Our pastors here are real big on making scriptural confessions. And that's not just some little gimmick, you know, that they use. It's an important thing. Because it is important what you say. Because wrong thoughts lead to wrong actions. <clears throat> wrong words lead to wrong actions. James 3.2. First comes the thought, then comes the words, then comes the actions. James 3.2 says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle a whole body. And you are controlled by what you say. Anybody disagree with that? Good, because it's the truth. You are controlled by what you say. uh Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, sometimes arguments begin between husbands and wives, family members, people in business and jobs and all that. Sometimes fights start just because somebody says something that sets the other person off in another way. And if that, if those words had never been said, that fight would never have happened. There are consequences to what you say, good and the bad, both. There are consequences both ways. So uh, we're supposed to listen twice as much as we speak. I, I don't know if that's a proverb or if that's just an old saying, but it's a good one. It's a good saying. It's true. We should listen twice as much as we talk. They have consequences. We should speak faith words. Mark eleven twenty three says, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain be removed and be cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatsoever he says. And I could talk for a long, long time about results in my own life in our married life that bear that out and if you'll think back to your past to your life maybe as early as today where you can confirm that that's a true statement you wouldn't you wouldn't have to go back very far to to see where it's happened in your own life you wouldn't have to go back far at all now i gave you all that and i'm almost done so take heart, uh, I gave you all that so that not, not to glorify Satan, because he is a defeated foe, not to glorify him or to give him more honor or anything than he deserves, because he doesn't deserve any, but to point out to you what his tactics are, he's a pretty good tactician, so uh, that was my goal. And I don't want anybody to go out of here thinking that, oh, I'm scared of the devil. Look at all these tools he has, and look how effective he is. That's not what I'm trying to convey. What I'm trying to convey to you is the information that you need to know how to overcome his tools. And we, and we have a defense, 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Psalm 119, 11 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. The Word, the Word, the Word is our primary defense. And I'm here to tell you from personal experience, I'm going to be 80 years old in August. Uh, Yeah, it is. (laughs) And I can tell you from living a long life and having personal experience that there is no substitute for being regularly in church, sitting under the Word, preached to you by a man of God who has experience and knows how to teach you. There's no substitute for that. None. So, if you're one of those folks that come once a month or, you know, whenever you feel like it or whenever there's not something else going on, I urge you to prove this for yourself. If you will come to church on a regular basis, Wednesday and Sunday, on a regular basis for six months you will see a difference in your life. I promise you. And if you try that and it doesn't work, come see me. I'll I'll give you some money. (laughs) That's how confident I am. Because it happened to me. You know, I used to be one of those every once in a while go to church kind of people. And I didn't grow one inch. But when I got faithful, everything changed. Everything changed. Our, our second defense is our faith. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and you hear it here. Ephesians 6, 16 says, Above all, take him a shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked ones. If Satan can't deceive you, he cannot defeat you in any way. It's true he's wily and he's persistent and all those kinds of things. But if you know the word and believe the word and live the word, he cannot defeat you.